like to call your attention back. It would be lovely if we could continue with our worship service. You know what? God loves the fact that we have relationships with one another. And my favorite part about a church like San Marino Community Church, and it's not unlike other churches, is that we really do love one another. We want to be around one another. And isn't it easier when we're with one another and loving Jesus together? <laughs> I always wondered about those people in the monastic lifestyle because they always just seem like they're far off somewhere, but they've got something going on because they're all together all the time. What would it be like if we all just lived here? Anyone with me? No, I'm just kidding. So I was going to say something funny because last time I poured something on the stage, Richard said that he had just moved his guitar, which was like right under here. And so I had this really big bubbling experiment. So I have learned, thanks to Richard, to always do my experiments on the ground because you never know what electronic equipment he has down here. It was good. Okay, so today we're in Timothy. How many of you have ever read Timothy? It's a letter in the New Testament. It's a great place to just kind of get a refresher because it's by the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul had so much to say about to a new church, a church that had just gained its roots and its beginnings. And you know what? 2,000 years later, we're not all that different. And so we're going to open up to 1 Timothy chapter 1, 12 through 17. You can read it on the screens. You can open it up on your fancy Bible app. Whatever, or if you have a Bible with you, that would be awesome too. Let's listen to God's word for us. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength because he considered me faithful. So he appointed me to ministry. This is Paul talking. Even though I used to speak out against him and attack his people, and I was proud. But I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and without faith. Our Lord's favor poured all over me, along with the faithfulness and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is reliable and deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I'm the biggest sinner of all. But this is why I was shown mercy, so that Christ Jesus could show his endless patience to me first of all. So I'm an example to those of you who are going to believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king of ages, to the immortal, invisible, and only God, may honor and glory be given to him forever, always and always. Amen. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, our God, it is amazing that you pour out your mercy. Overflow us with your grace. And have that love just spill over. God, as we read these words and unpack things that you had to say to the early church, let it breathe out to us today. Let us understand more and draw closer to you. Amen. How many of you have ever ridden the subway, taken public transportation in any way, shape, or form? <coughs> now, living in Los Angeles, we don't get an opportunity to do it as often. I actually lived near the Gold Line in South Pasadena, just there on the corner of Mission and Meridian, and I had two very green 
roommates. And so we took the train to downtown LA all the time. And I took it upon myself to learn how to do it myself. And I loved that. My husband actually worked in downtown LA for a while. And so I take the gold line to the red line and get off. And it was great. I didn't have to find a parking spot in downtown LA, which is like $20 an hour. And even now, I live off of the Allen stop in Pasadena. I don't take it as often as I used to, but I remember seeing some pretty peculiar happenings. Now, if you've not been on some sort of a subway, I just feel like it's kind of one of those condensed areas where people are at their best and at their worst. But you could find this at an airport. You guys have been on airplanes, I'm assuming. Or you could even see this at crowd places like sporting events. I know you all have been to sporting events. So pick one of those venues. I know you have seen one of them, but this illustration comes from a guy named Pete. It was the year 2009, and Pete was just an ordinary man living in New York. He lived in Queens, and so he took the M train every day from Queens to Brooklyn. And as he was jiggling in those blue plastic seats, you know what I'm talking about? He would notice all of these weird things. He would notice that travelers, other travelers, would neglect one another. Here's what he was talking about. A pregnant woman would walk onto the train, clearly nine, ten months, not ten months, <laughs> eight or nine months pregnant, hopefully not ten months, pregnant, and no one would stand up and give her a seat. Can you imagine? Or this is one of my favorites. This happens all the time in an elevator where it's your stop, and you're ready to get off, but people are just standing right there in front of it, right? When you shaking her head, people do this all the time. They are obviously at their stop. Let them get off first. That's what my mama always taught me. Or there was this one guy who said one day you had his legs spread so wide that Pete had to walk down the aisle and actually had to step over him. And so one day he thought, I just got to tell all of my friends about this. And so he would. He'd get to work, and his blood was just boiling, and he'd tell his friends and his spouse about it. They're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm glad you guys know what I'm talking about. But they just weren't really in agreement. They're like, people aren't that bad. What are you talking about? Of course you stand up for a pregnant woman and let her sit down. Of course you move your legs out of the way when somebody's walking past you. And he thought that one day when he was walking over that gentleman's legs, he thought, I'm going to take out my smartphone and take a picture just of that. And right after, he posted it on Facebook. Now, we only had about 70 followers. This was way back in the day. But everyone seemed to understand what he was talking about. <laughs> like, 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 I totally get what you mean. I can't believe he did that. What a jerk. I understand all of these inconsiderate people. And so Pete took it upon himself to be some sort of like a moral police. And so every day he went on the M train and he found a new person to take a picture of. The guy spreading out his legs so wide so that the girl in the corner was almost squeezed up to a pole. Amazing things that you see. It was 2009 and so Twitter had just come out and so he decided to make an anonymous Twitter because these people needed justice. He wanted justice, I think, and he wanted to change the entire atmosphere of the M train. And so he started posting all of these pictures, a picture a day, and he felt good. Have you guys 
do you guys have Facebook or an Instagram? You know what it feels like to get a like? <laughs> to have the, that many people with the little heart bubble? <gasps> Four people liked my picture and it's only been 10 minutes. <laughs> my husband gets a little bit jealous because I have all of you that like me as Facebook and we're friends, I get that, but I have you all as my friends and I have some other people from other churches too and so I have kind of an exorbitant amount of friends and it's a unique situation, and he doesn't really get that, because whenever I post, like, a cute picture of the two of us, I get, like, a hundred and something likes, and he gets, like, 30 to 40 likes, which is great. It's amazing. But thank you for liking all of our pictures. But the skill is off, right? Like, Julie gets what I, she's, like, a super famous person, and she's got all of these people that see her on television. And so when people like her, like, it's a little bit exorbitant. They are your friends, but some of them are a little anonymous, right? Yeah. Nice to get the likes. I always like and I always comment. So Pete starts posting on Twitter as anonymous, and people start following him. And he is just this moral policeman. But there's some point where he just doesn't see anything new, and he can't come up with any clever phrases to go along with it. And so he starts taking pictures of just things. This is going to hurt your heart a little bit. He took a picture of somebody with sleeping on the M train with their mouth open. It's not attractive. It's not his original goal. Or he took a picture of somebody with like that heavy makeup on trying to cover the acne scars. Not appropriate, Pete. Makes my heart hurt. So the people on the internet, they're smart people. They noticed what Pete was doing and originally they were with him. But then they started not being with him. And so they found out who he was. Now, it didn't take a lot of searching because the person who was the first liked anonymous was Pete. So they found out who the first friend was. And then they found Pete. And they found a picture of Pete. And they created their own Twitter account. And they posted a picture of Pete. And they said, anybody who sees Pete on the M train, please post pictures of him. And of course, it was Pete doing all sorts of things like his bad hair day or sleeping with his face smushed up against the window. The internet world had gotten its revenge. And I'd like to say that the story turns out really, really good. And you can decide for yourselves about this. Pete actually made a full switch. He appreciated that. He needed that, like, in your face, hey, what you were doing is not okay. He was doing that to other people. <coughs> other people started doing it to him. And he fully appreciated it and accepted it. <coughs> and Pete started posting as himself and closed down the Twitter account that was anonymous. And he started posting pictures of things that were nourishing, of things that would encourage other people. Have you all guys heard of humans of New York or humans of something? It's more of like, wow, you took a picture of that, and these are two people that have a beautiful life story. Or he started taking pictures of inanimate objects like the first rain, the first snow. Pete's life certainly was transformed. And you know what? His followers went from 30 to 1,000. People were encouraged by his transformation and started following him. Now, if that's not a story of transformation, I don't know what is. The Apostle Paul was on a long before Twitter happened, but he had followers too. 
He was catching people not doing things that were immoral, not upstanding to the Jewish law. And he was a little bit famous before he did that, but mostly because people were trying to get away from him. But something similar happened to Pete, as did Paul. People showed Pete through clicking photos of him. And Paul got a flash of light from God, maybe taking a picture of him, I don't know. That's not biblical, but. But Paul literally got shown himself, his true self and who he was. And he changed. He had a couple of days. You guys know the story of Paul? Quick interlude. Paul was a Jew, and he was persecuting and killing Christians. Bad stuff. But he thought he was doing it for good, because those Christians were a new cult. They would not be following along with what the Jewish religion was all about. And so, Paul was trying to stop all of that from happening. He was even appointed to do this from the Roman government. But Paul got blinded by light on the road somewhere. Damascus is not important. And he had a couple of days where he was really blind and just had to introspect. Have you guys ever had like three days where you just had three days of bed rest and you just kind of introspect into yourself and you think, oh, I, I need to change my life around. So Paul changed his life around, met Jesus, realized that Jesus was more important in his life and he wanted to follow Jesus as opposed to this Roman or this Jewish rule. And so Paul was now not persecuting Christians. He was now trying to convert people to Christian. That's a transformation. And so Paul works his way through the entire Mediterranean world, and he travels places. How many of you have been to Ephesus? That's like in Turkey, to Corinth, that's over by Greece. He even went to Rome. He traveled all throughout Israel. Paul went on three different missionary journeys. He dedicated decades of his life to spreading the gospel, and he planted churches places. He planted churches in places like Ephesus and Corinth. Anybody want to name any more? Bible scholars? Philippi, like it? Yell it out. <coughs> Colossians, yeah, Colossae, Galatians, you guys know these places. So he established all these churches in all of these different places, and he left people behind because he's traveling around, and so he's like the really great preacher, but he's got all these little deputy preachers, and one of those deputy preachers' name is Timothy, and he leaves Timothy in Ephesus. Ephesus is on the coast of Turkey, if you don't know. It's a pretty cool place. How many of you have been there? Anyone? Footsteps of Paul? Like that? Like that? So Timothy is there. And as you can imagine, the church has all these sorts of rumblings like normal churches do. You know, it's 2,000 years later, and the church is doing the same things. They're struggling with all sorts of stuff. Paternal language, women doing stuff. People not believing in who God really is, questioning the identity of who Jesus is, where the money should go, how the seats should be arranged, how frequently we should meet, when do we do communion, when do we not? And they were really intense about all of these things because they thought Jesus was coming back, like soon, like in their lifetime. So they wanted to get everything right. But you notice something that you, you hear in Timothy all the different things that they're complaining about and they're trying to set in the right order and set in the right way because somebody was pushing against them. 
you'll notice this is like kind of like a literary style. You never have to say, no, this might offend some people, but you never have to say shut up to women if the women aren't talking. You never have to say shut up to slaves if the slaves aren't revolting. You never have to say something unless somebody is trying to be different than you. And so that's why Paul is having to say and lay out all of these things because you know that there were big voices pushing in on the early church. And I'm so appreciative for Paul and his way that he articulates everything because without Paul, the early church would have been swayed by these other voices. We learned in confirmation class, right, Noah, that there's all these different early church sects. Gnosticism, Arianism, these ideas of people that were going away from Jesus and they were coming in and they were saying, no, Jesus said that, but I think he really meant this and he really meant that. And don't we have that today? People are saying, oh, no, Jesus said that, but I really feel like it means this and I really feel like it means that. And they were really going away from what the gospel was about. And it really needed to be so focused and centered on what Jesus really said. And this was only, you know, a couple of years after Jesus passed away and went up to heaven. Now we here we are, 2,000 years later, and we hear it. Let's look at the text. Verse 12, it says, I am grateful to Jesus because he judged me. And we know Paul was persecuting and killing Christians, and so that's the judgment part. But God still uses Paul. He appointed me. My second other favorite part is the grace of the Lord overflowed. You guys know where I was going with that simple gospel part? The grace of the Lord, love of God, his forgiveness overflows. So that no matter what you have done, because Paul persecuted Christians, and what have you all done? There's plenty of things that you have done. We don't have to name them now. But does it make you feel transformed to know that God still loves you? That God still forgives you? That God's grace can overcome no matter what is in your life? And so those are the words that we have from Timothy today, or from Paul to Timothy for us today. The church back then is not so different than the church today. And what are we doing so that we can make sure that those voices from the outside are not pushing our Christianity in ways that shouldn't be? What are we doing to educate ourselves about what the scripture and what Jesus says and what the context of all of that is about? And then what are we doing having been transformed not being weighed down by the sins of the world, but being transformed and going out and being able to splash onto other people God's love. I leave you with that. Would you pray with me? <laughs> oh, Lord, our God, it is absolutely amazing that even though there's 2,000 years spanning between the beginning of the church and the church that we sit in right now, how many similarities there are. Oh God, where there is hate in the world, help us to push it out. Where there is war and territory, let us fight against it in a peaceful manner. Oh Lord, where there is gender and segregation, 
Let us peacefully bridge. Oh God, wherever there is a need for love, help us know that we can fill those places, more so because we know that you have filled us. In your name we pray, amen. Amen.